Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today's date is August 3rd, 2021. I'm pretty sure. You're, you are on. I know you're looking yes. at me with questions and I'm like, yes, let me go ahead and prepare. It is August 3rd, 2021. Yes. Um, and we wanted to include the date in here because we're doing another update episode, but we're going to talk about a, a roundup of things that have caught our attention. But in doing this episode, I realized we haven't done one of these in a hot minute because we're talking about some stuff that happened in February. <laughs> yeah. Very briefly. It's been a minute. We are also going to talk about some sexual assault and harassment in a court case. We're not going to go too in-depth, but just FYI, trigger warning, if you're not feeling that today. We can also like heads up that part if you want to listen to the other stuff, but not that. Totally cool. We did want to start with an update on the Olympics, which we promised we would talk about more in a recent Women Around the World. So let's start with a story about Norway, pink, and bikinis. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So women on Norway's beach handball team are being fined 150 euros, which is about 170 US dollars per player for, quote, improper clothing when they wore shorts instead of bikini bottoms during their bronze medal match against Spain in the 2020 Olympics. Alongside Olympic officials, the International Handball Federation released this statement, all efforts will be taken in order to further promote the sport. This includes the ideal presentation of the sport, and by that includes the outfit of the players. So the team had given advance notice on their plan to wear shorts instead of bikini bottoms, and while they lost the match, they said they were proud of taking a firm stance by wearing the shorts. They released a statement of their own, we are overwhelmed by the attention and support from all over the world. We really hope this will result in a change of this nonsense rule. The players have argued that the bikini bottoms aren't practical for a sport that often necessitates women diving into the sand, and that further, it's just plain degrading to women. Many women athletes, professional and not, have shared their experiences being sexualized based on their uniforms, feeling embarrassed and even discouraged from competing, and some even said they walked away entirely because of it. Right. This kind of reminds me of the whole incident in A League of Their Own when yeah, they were sliding and all too. the bruising because mm -hmm. they're not wearing pants. Yeah. Ridiculous, y'all. Just mm -hmm. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, and here are the official International Handball Federation rules. For men, shorts that fall no longer than 10 centimeters, about four inches, above their knees. But for women, quote, female athletes must wear bikini bottoms with a close fit and cut on an upward angle toward the top of the leg. The side width must be of a maximum of 10 centimeters. Uh, they're also required to wear midriff bearing tops, a side-by-side -side picture of the men's team and the women's team is obviously very revealing. And again, the sport is relatively new. So these rules were formulated pretty recently in the 1980s. I feel like, again, if we learned this lesson way back when, why are we here? Whatever. <laughs> the organizations in charge are arguing that this whole thing was essentially a ploy to get more publicity, mm, that no one is officially pushing to update the rules which is dumb. Uh, the recently formed Beach Handball Commission has agreed to discuss the clothing requirements at their first meeting scheduled to be held in August. Why is it a conversation? Should have just been like, oh, look, they don't like it, so let's change it. Right, right. Well, they got to uphold the proper representation of the sport, Samantha. <laughs> is it going to be eight creepy white men discussing, but I like to see their butt hanging out? <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. And they really did attract attention and support world over. The Norwegian Handball Federation president announced that they would pay any fine. And pop star Pink tweeted her support for the team, saying, quote, I'm very proud of the Norwegian female beach handball team for protesting the very sexist rules about their uniform. And the European Handball Federation should be fined for sexism. Good on you, ladies. I'll be happy to pay your fines for you. Keep it up. So that's from Pink herself. Mm -hmm. Um, And Billie Jean King tweeted, the sexualization of women athletes must stop, which is hilarious because when we talked about the history of the Olympics, they were like, no, women are going to be too distracting. We can't have it. I know. And then they brought them in to be distracting, apparently. I know. And I know probably all of us have seen the like, well, dress codes, you get fined, like in trouble for showing too much. And then this is, you get fined for not showing enough. Right. Ridiculous. Which is hysterical, once again, because they're like, we got to get more viewership. So how do we do this? Women in bikinis or leotards that show off as much as possible mm-hmm. and not thinking about, hey, is this actually pertinent to their competition? Probably not. Probably not. And I have been watching the Olympics, and I think this is the first time, and I don't, I can't understand why it took me so long to be like, why is it these dudes are wearing like long shorts and tank tops and they're in bikinis, essentially? Right. And then I was watching it with my friends and even, I don't want to be like, even they, but sometimes I feel like I come out really hard on these like feminist, like sexism issues. But even they were like, why? Why? We were watching the gymnastics and they were like, why are the women having to do all these dance moves to music and the guys just like do the thing? <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. And this is by no means the only sexualized gendered sport uniform, nor is it the first time one has caused controversy. Uh, I know, like, again, as we're recording this, a lot is changing. And today I saw a headline about, like, other sports teams joining in on this. So, uh, on this protest. So, it's it's ongoing. And it is very hard to, to miss when you're watching the Olympics. On the other hand, some countries have protested overly sexual uniforms for conservative and or religious reasons. So that's another part of this. Uh, worth noting, as of these 2020 Olympics, the International Volleyball Federation updated their rules to allow female volleyball players the option of wearing T-shirts, shorts, one-pieces, or bikinis. I remember when I was a kid being like, so embarrassed for, and I know this is terrible, this is all about me and not about them, they probably don't care, but like having to pick a wedgie on international television. Yeah. Because they're tight bikini bottoms and they're moving around a lot. (laughs) Right. I remember seeing, uh, especially gymnasts when they were in their uniform, having to pull it together and try to get it done because they don't want that up their crack. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, even if you don't care about like, you're not embarrassed, it's just something you shouldn't have to think about. Like you should be comfortable and be able to just focus on your job, your profession, instead of being like, oh God, I got another wedgie. Where's the camera? (laughs) I mean, think about it though, for ourselves when we're doing something, if we have a wedgie, that's the only thing that's on my mind. Like, how do I get this out? How do I get this out? So could you imagine performing? Right, And exactly. be like, oh God, this is way up my crack. Everybody's seeing this and it's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, the feeling alone is so uncomfortable. I will say they, a lot of these athletes handle it with grace. They handle it with more grace than I would. But uh, <laughs> I just don't think it's something we should have to think about. Agreed. And yeah, a lot of this does go back to what we were talking about in our the History of the Olympics episode with largely male audiences being uncomfortable with strong masculine 
women and wanting this like, well, you can compete, but you still have to be in your gendered, uh, for my male eyes, pretty box. Right. Yeah. Rude. Germany's women's gymnast team wore full body unitards this year as a form of protest. And as I said, a lot of other teams are getting in on it. So hopefully we'll see some changes with that. Hopefully, but yeah. Again. It's been a long time. From the time. beginning of the Olympics Day here, we're still here. We're right. like, why? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ridiculous. I'm a pessimist. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, there's been an outcry over FINA, the organization in charge of international swimming competitions, who rejected the request of SoulCap for use in the Tokyo Olympics. SoulCap is a product used by Alice Deering, the first black woman swimmer on Britain's Olympic team. She has an afro, and most swim caps not only don't fit, they don't protect her hair from the chlorine in the water or even just keep it dry. So sole caps create a larger silicone cover specifically designed for weaves, dreadlocks, braids, hair extensions, and or thick curly hair. And explaining their decision, Fina said, caps of such size and configuration have never been needed before. Uh, yeah. This sparked a huge conversation about the lack of diversity in swimming and another instance of discrimination against Black athletes. Just as recently as the 2016 Olympic Games, Simone Manuel became the first Black female swimmer to win a gold medal. And yeah, I thought about that this weekend because I was actually watching the diving yeah. stuff and there was only really one Black woman mm-hmm. the entire time. And I wondered about her hair because she, of course... No one who really has caps are in that, so it's a whole different level. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder if she's ever concerned about that. Because, yeah, chlorine is really damaging in general, mm-hmm. and especially if you're doing all these things. And we know the upkeep is very different mm-hmm. for women of color. And curly-haired women, I know this, in general, <laughs> is a whole other thing. And I, I was like, does that even come to our mind? And maybe that's just me being like, we've been thinking about this, and yet a soul cap issue has come up previously and the fact that it's banned altogether. Yeah. So even like the conversation about the hijibs and people being and, and athletes being able to use that, that was a huge conversation. Yeah. I remember I think the 2016 Olympics too. And I'm like, look, if it's not discouraging them in their competition, why are you so worried about this? This shouldn't have to be a thing. It doesn't give them an edge. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was one of the most frustrating things about FINA or FINA uh, when they released their statement where they were like, Maybe it gives an advantage. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're so out of touch. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's propellers inside of the soul caps that's just pushing (laughs) them towards the finish line? I don't think that's how that works, bruh. I don't think it is either. We did want to touch on Simone Biles and, and mental health, which we, we also talked about in our Women in Olympics Went Around the World episode. Um, and I, I will say, so I was watching gym, the gymnastics before she kind of dropped out. Um, she did do the balance beam final as we record this last night at 4.30 a.m., which I loved. I was watching a commercial for it last night, and they were like, you can wake up at 4.35 a.m. to watch it live. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will find the YouTube clip of it later. <laughs> but we were watching it before, and it was, we did talk about it, as I mentioned in that episode of like, this is a lot of of just commercials and segments about her. And then it was really painful um, and interesting that they included it, but they had segments in there where she was talking about being a survivor, especially when it comes to like Larry Nasser and the whole USA Team Gymnastics. And I think I've been reading a lot of articles because 
I've said, I really love gymnastics. I loved it when I was a kid and I love watching it, but it has this really painful thing now of like knowing there's this history behind it. And like we were talking about Carrie Shrug and I totally forgot that after she like stuck that landing with her broken ankle, Larry Nassar ran out to help her. Mm. And so that that hangs over it and it does feel odd sometimes watching these things where we're we're cheering people on, but you behind that person is a person who probably has been doing this since childhood and went through all these like difficulties to get there. And and I know a lot of times I never want to like say that somebody wasn't given a choice, but I always think of like if I had been a four-year-old and they were like, you're gonna be a gymnastics champion. There's no way I know any different or better. Like right. I can't consent. I'm a child, but I don't know. It just kind of weirds me out. <laughs> right. Child prodigy stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to ever say like, I'm sure a lot of these women love the sport. They love gymnastics. But it's just odd to me that it's almost like you don't have a choice. And I'm, you know, hopeful that you could, if you decide as you get older, oh, I don't like this. This isn't for me. You can drop out. But right. that is just an odd kind of tension when I watch it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, since since Simone Biles kind of spoke out about why she decided to drop out of some of these events or not compete in some of these events, there have been a lot of interesting conversations on mental health, some very disappointing conversations about it that are playing out. And um, yeah, she did. She did compete in the balance beam and she won bronze as of last night. And we also talked about Naomi Osaka's withdrawal before that. Um, And it has brought up a lot of interesting conversations around the training and the expectations placed on these women, especially women of color. And gymnast Allie Reisman has been very outspoken about how USA Gymnastics, the organization, has really failed when it comes to protecting and supporting these women. And yeah, there's just like story after story of abuse and of pressuring women and girls to give up solid food for weight loss, for instance. Like, right. All of these things that are really distressing. And I do think it's really powerful and needed that people are, you know, stepping up and saying, I, for my mental health, and Simone Biles was saying, like, I'm going to hurt myself because I am not right. in a good space. And I think that is very difficult, especially on a stage like that, to do. But I'm glad that it's happening. I'm very disheartened that especially conservative men are like, suck it up, essentially. <laughs> like, you yeah. owe it to us. Right. And, you know, it's not just conservative men. Um, Michael Che got um, essentially blasted, and thank goodness, because the first thing he said was, I have so many Simone Biles jokes. And then, like, on his own Instagram stories, reposted supposed fans sending jokes, including about uh, Nasser and the abuse that happened. Uh-huh. Like, they made jokes of this. And it was just really dis- disheartening. I'm like, look, you are a black man with a platform. And sure, comedy like stretches some boundaries, but you are going out of bounds and purposefully going after a black woman. And you are one more reason why we talk about the fact that misogynoir exists in general and why this term, once again, is so important and why it's necessary because what you're doing is exactly that. On top of taking someone who has been through so much hell, like even in general, like I think about her as being adopted and I believe she was adopted by her grandparents. Mm -hmm. It's a little different because I also think about just about like expectation of like being the ultimate story uh, and ultimate goal of this and like oh you came from really sad background to this and you're like but that's not 
what needs to be the important part of her life is what she is accomplishing. But we do want to talk about that she had to pull herself out of these things and what those effects can look like later down the road and why people think that she owes them something when she makes a decision that's ultimately about her health or whether or not she meets those expectations that she had laid out before. And and this whole like ultimate betrayal conversation as if, again, we are, we have something invested Mm-hmm. with her backing down or not doing what she did before. And we I'm talking about um, the fact that she literally created moves that's going to yeah. be named after her uh, later on down the road. But even still with that, the judges penalizing her for being too good. It's just like damned if you don't, right. damned if you do. Right. Absolutely. Like she is the epitome of that right now in mm-hmm. what we look at. And the fact that the people who are supposed to be her allies are also the ones that's crapping on her essentially and making her a villain. And it's just such a disheartening thing to see. And once again, one of those things like, who are the ones that are actually allies? Who are the ones that are actually advocating? And I know at one point, like she was not even in a place uh, when the Nasser stuff came out to talk about it herself. Like she yeah. literally kind of distanced herself mainly because of the trauma. And we, we again, just laying down what's happening. And I think she was criticized at that point in time because she wouldn't come out. Right. But why does she owe us that either? Like right. essentially, she does not owe her trauma Mm-mm. for us to move past whatever situations or to get answers or to get gold. And it's such a bizarre thing that we have laid on these ladies. And yeah, gymnastics and I think ballet, those two are the ones that you're like, these are really toxic when you see the th- the levels that people push them to yeah. in order to be quote-unquote successful. Right. And I mean, there's a lot we could unpack there of just the almost you have to be a certain age, like you age out so quickly. And this, I've I've been shocked at how many times I'm watching, and I know this isn't new, but I'm just shocked at how many times I'm watching it. And they're like, oh, she has this like ankle in- injury and she also tore her shoulder. Like all these like tape all over their bodies. And right. Just like really, really injuring themselves. And I, again, I can only hope it's like something they like and that it's, you right. know, what they want to do. But there's a part of me that's like, you were a kid when you started doing this. And I don't know. And yeah, the whole, it's just, to me, it feels like another example of really expecting women, especially women of color, to put aside your trauma and like just do. Because when you think about it, like if you worked for an organization that had the numerous accounts of abuse that USA Gymnastics did, and then for them to be like, but go on, (laughs) perform for us. And you it really doesn't us. seem like they're making a lot of good changes right. or listening to them. That's ridiculous. That, why would you ask that of someone and then be angry at them when they're like, you know right. what? My mental health isn't in a great state right now. <laughs> right. Well, as Suni Lee or Sunisa Lee, who did win the gold and then she went on to win, I think, bronze and something else. She is now actually talking about going to, I believe, Auburn and competing on the uh, college gymnastic team, which mm-hmm. has not been something they've been able to do because you can't be paid. Well, now right. that's changed. Mm-hmm. But previously, you couldn't be paid for participating in athletics. And even though she's not necessarily going to be paid by the school, she does already have sponsorships yeah. being on Olympic teams. And apparently, uh, other gymnasts could not do that. They mm-hmm. couldn't participate in both because they were sponsored already. So that's interesting to see. And as you are talking about, I really hope you love this because now you're doubling down. <laughs> 
Yeah. Have you seen all the pictures of Simone just cheering everybody on? Yeah. Those, those yeah. are great to see. It's so they nice. It's like, it makes my heart feel good. <laughs> they are. Um, yeah. And I, I bet we'll return, return to this because clearly there's a lot going on here. Um, and it has been something I've been seeing in my friends as well of like people taking... Taking a stand sounds so dramatic, but like standing up for their mental health and being like, you know what, I'm not in a good space, which is pretty new in a lot of my circle mm-hmm. of friends. So that's a good thing, but it also suggests to me like, what have we been putting up with for so long that we've been like right. so exhausted? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think we've talked about that several times with the quarantine stuff as well as pandemic. Like it's pushed us to the point of realizing, uh, what yeah. have we been doing? Why are we doing this to, the, to ourselves? And then this whole level of, again, is absolutely capitalistic idea of we've got to keep pushing and keep pushing to the breaking point mm-hmm. or we're not truly trying. And that's such an absurd idea. Uh, yeah. Try, try again, like fail. All these things that's such a weird, like, why did we think this was okay? Yeah, I think we are. I think we are starting to question a lot of that. Um, so we'll see how that that goes. But okay, here's the part where there's going to be uh, some discussion of uh, sexual assault if you want to to, to skip this part because we're going to talk about the ongoing lawsuit around Activision Blizzard, which is the company behind uh, popular games like World of Warcraft and uh, Candy Crush. After years of stories about the discrimination, outright harassment, and toxic culture women endured at this company, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a lawsuit on July 20th, 2021 compiling their findings after two years of investigation. And it has made some truly disturbing behavior at this company across multiple studios and offices public. As a result, more employees have come forward with stories of abuse, and not just from Activision, but gaming studios and tech at large. Others have apologized. Activision claimed that the suit presented a distorted and in many cases false descriptions of Blizzard's past. So the details have been pretty horrendous. One of the complaints in the lawsuit concerned a creative director on World of Warcraft, Alex Afraziabi. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. His behavior as a harasser was so well known, his office was nicknamed the Crosby Suite, as in Bill Cosby. At BlizzCon, an annual company event, he would flirt with female employees, ask them to marry them, try to kiss them, call them derogatory names, put his arms around them, and other men, including supervisors, would sometimes have to intervene and pull his arms off of them. Gross. His behavior was well known to executives at the company, but all they did was give him a verbal slap on the wrist. Common story. As of June 2020, Afraziabi still worked at the company, but seemingly abruptly left. So by the way, in two characters, and some items are named after him in the world of Warcraft. So, hmm. Yeah, people are protesting that, trying to get it, get it removed, these items and characters removed. Um, and... Blizzard Activision has recently confirmed that he left because of misconduct, but it, like this week confirmed. Right. I know there was a whole protest. Yeah. Within. Didn't they all leave? Yes. We will be yeah, talking about thought, that. Walked out. Yeah. The lawsuit also gives multiple examples of women receiving significantly less pay at the company when compared to men of the same experience level at the same job, often starting at the same time. It gives examples of women being asked inappropriate questions like, you must be into freaky stuff. What kind of porn do you watch? often by supervisors, jokes about how women only got their jobs by performing sexual favors, rape jokes. Former vice president at the company, Lisa Welch, recounted a time when an exec asked that she have sex with him because, quote, she deserved to have some fun after her boyfriend had died weeks earlier. Mm. 
Others reported being guilted into sex in order to get and keep their jobs, some as young as 19. There were reports of homophobia and racism, too. The lawsuit found that complaints to HR were not taken seriously and that the HR representatives were close to the harassers often would take their side. Women who did report were often punished, held back from promotions. Women who took time off for pregnancy or childbirth found they received no support and their careers may be set back by years when they returned. A security researcher named Emily Mitchell shared her story at the time she approached Blizzard's booth at a black hat cybersecurity conference to ask them about penetration testing position or pen testing, which is the industry term for a security audit. The Blizzard representatives asked if she was lost, if she knew what pen testing was, if she was there with her boyfriend. And in Mitchell's words, one of them asked me when was the last time I was personally penetrated, if I liked being penetrated, and how often I got penetrated. I was furious and felt humiliated, so I took the free swag and left. She went on to become the COO at a company called Sagita HPC, now TerraHash. And when Blizzard approached the company to hire them in 2017, she informed the company's CEO and founder of what had happened. He sent an email agreeing to work with them only if they met several conditions, including a 50% misogyny tax with the money going to three charities supporting women in technology and a letter of apology to Mitchell. You can find the whole letter online. It's a great read. Um, Blizzard did not agree. Mitchell also reported the incident to the organizers of the Black Hat Conference who promised her they would not invite Blizzard back as a sponsor, and they have not been back as a sponsor since 2015. And just in case we don't already know, that is a good CEO and good advocate. (laughs) Great job. (laughs) It's a really good letter. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point, uh, the breastfeeding rooms didn't have locks and men would just walk in and stare until the women screamed at them to leave. Women reported avoiding parties because of unwanted touching and sometimes of the chest and the general, quote, frat culture of them, meaning they might miss out on networking or be punished for not attending. In response to the company's poor handling of the lawsuit, more than 2,000 Blizzard Activision employees walked out on July 28th, 2021, after nearly one-third of employees signed a letter the previous Monday addressing their displeasure with the company's initial response. The CEO of the company responded with a public letter of his own, and the employees responded to that, pointing out that it didn't address issues at the heart of their concerns. They cited the response of executive Fran Townsend, who used to work as assistant to the president for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism under the Bush administration, where she publicly defended the administration's use of torture after she called this whole lawsuit meritless and old. Um, After the walkout, she tweeted, the problem with whistleblowing with an article link and blocked anyone who criticized it, even employees. She is a sponsor for the company's uh, women's network, by the way. Ew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, (laughs) this is what we're talking about. We're like, "Mm, not everyone are allies. (laughs) People have rightly pointed out that this doesn't seem to match with one of Blizzard's core company values, which is great ideas can come from anywhere. Blizzard Entertainment is what it is today because of the voices of our players and of each member of the company. Every employee is encouraged to speak up, listen, be respectful of the others, and embrace criticism as just another avenue of great ideas. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Let me block these employees on Twitter. <laughs> right. Hmm. This is called hypocrisy, people. Some gamers and streamers are boycotting Blizzard in response to all of these allegations. Yeah, and some dev teams specifically of um, of specific games are also blocking and matching donations to charities, uh, usually about getting young women and girls into tech. All of this paints a history of toxicity at the company 
and of the industry at large. Uh, the state of California is suing Riot Games, too. And we've talked about that a little bit previously. And this lawsuit has been going on since 2018. The original complaint included this line, a former male employee was allowed to remain in a position of leadership despite regularly making sexual comments in the workplace and drugging and raping another Riot Games employee. That's, that's horrible. Um, as of now, Blizzard is 80% male. Right. So it's, it's one of those things, too. Like going back, it's almost the same with the gymnastics where it's like, we all knew this. this. Happening. We yeah. all knew this. And then, why did it take so long? <laughs> right. Well, I know that uh, when we talk about Gamergate and when we talked about all the women who are big into the gaming world were getting harassed. One, actually, just recently, I just saw a tweet talking about how nothing's changed. Like, it was mm-hmm. such a big deal. But there's no, no actual change yeah. other than calling out individuals. So, therefore, not really getting to the root of the problem, mm-hmm. but just chastising a few and making them scapegoats. And it's interesting to look at that and be like, yeah, that's the commonality in what's happening is we're not getting to the root of anything. Instead, we're just taking a few of the symptoms out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's frustrating. Moving on, we did very briefly want to talk about the lawsuit uh, between Scarlett Johansson and Disney, because I'm sure a lot of you have heard Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the simultaneous release of Black Widow on Disney Plus and in theaters. And it's really complicated. This is actually the stuff I really love, but I know is boring. So I'm going to shorten it. Um, Very basically, her lawyers are claiming that it's a breach of contract, that a lot of her compensation would have come from theater box office, so upwards of $50 million is what they think and that the company was putting a desire to boost Disney Plus membership over the money that she is owed. Disney responded, calling the whole thing, quote, callous um, in the face of a pandemic. Uh, they said stuff like, it's so sad that she doesn't care about all the loss and tragedy. And they revealed her salary. In response, Reframe, Women in Film, and Time's Up released a joint statement While we take no position on the business issues in the litigation between Scarlett Johansson and the Walt Disney Company, we stand firmly against Disney's recent statement, which attempts to characterize Johansson, I am switching back and forth how I pronounce her name, I apologize, as insensitive or selfish for defending her contractual business rights. This gendered character attack has no place in a business dispute and contributes to an environment in which women and girls are perceived as less able than men to protect their own interests without facing ad hominem criticism. Her agent, Brian Lord, joined in saying, they have shamelessly and falsely accused Mrs. Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. Scarlett has been Disney's partner on nine movies, which have earned Disney and its shareholders billions. The company included her salary in their press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman as if that were something she should be ashamed of. Yeah, and people have pointed out myself as well, that it's really hilarious of Disney, a company worth over $130 billion to claim that she's being callous to the pandemic when they opened up their parks during said pandemic. And it wasn't until recently that they decided to mandate masks. Mm-hmm. Hello. Um, and also that it's pretty telling that she claimed a breach of contract and they were like, nah, you don't care about people dying in the pandemic. Uh, hello, deflection. (laughs) I also think it's really hysterical because they're like, but you did release it at theaters and at the same time on Disney Plus. So you don't really care if they go to the theater or not. So I'm really confused. 
<laughs> what you're doing here. Also, not only were you able to do this as a movie, you're about to do a series off of it and get millions of dollars, if not billions of yeah. dollars. Uh, yeah, bruh. Also, it's really funny to see two rich people going after each other, but at the same time, there is the standard of like, hey, let's use this sexist way of trying to keep my yeah. $130 billion within stockholders. Yeah. That's been one of the things for me because I feel like I don't, I can't envision them doing this to their big male stars. I really can't. And I also learned a lot about how much they make. And I was like, huh, okay, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. But like if Robert Downey Jr., for example, was like, you owe me this much money, I bet they would have been like, yep, okay, here it is. (laughs) Right. Well, well, what do you negotiate quietly? Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And I bet it wouldn't have even had to go into a lawsuit. Exactly. Me too. Me too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not necessarily taking a side, but maybe I have. But a few interesting topics of conversation has come up through all of this. Once again, it is interesting that, like you said, none of her male co-stars, as of this recording, have spoken out all about it at all. When again, they all rushed to Chris Pratt's aid overly, uh, over essentially a joke post and his anti-LGBTQ plus church, and then some, <laughs> possibly all the other things. Could be it's complicated because of their own contracts, and they already got their money, so why right. do they care? Yeah. Uh, or maybe they don't agree, but a lot of them, again, make a lot more money than she has or is at mm-hmm. this point with this movie. And yeah, good. Interesting. I think she's the highest paid woman actress. Mm-hmm. And she... Like, I don't want to get bogged down into this too much, but, like, she made $20 million for this, and RDJ made $80 million for one. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big difference. <laughs> right, and I'm guessing a bit of the reason why she's pissed is because a part of that you'll get more money is through the box office sales. Yes. So the estimated $50 million more, but that's all gone and wiped away because there was no really contention to, hey, what happens if we release it on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. which helped get one of the highest numbers yeah. in viewing. So you're yeah. like, but, yeah. so, what? And they did boost their membership. I was looking at, and a lot of people included in their articles about this, like the top salaries of actors in the world. And almost all of them, especially when you move past the top five, are men, and they're all from Marvel movies. And so these are like guaranteed moneymaker, like big money. Right. And so it's not like, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, because it, it is to us, you know, it's like millions of dollars. But it is like, this is like your guaranteed, it's probably one of the reasons you do a Marvel movie. Right. <laughs> and we've seen other movies say we're only releasing in theaters and pushing it back and pushing it back. And they pushed this movie back several times because yeah. of that, but they still didn't do it. It's kind of like, mm, what was the motivation here? Right, exactly. And yeah, that's a, that's another thing. Our entertainment landscape is changing, and it's quite possible this whole streaming day of thing is here to stay, which means we do need to talk about this, about people getting compensated for that. Um, Johansson is suing over what some call the old model, which is money guaranteed from theaters, although even saying that feels odd because it's not that old. But... <laughs> Um, that this contract and the understanding she entered in was that that's where a lot of the money was going to come from. Like the intent was that's how she was going to make this 50 million as estimated. A pandemic certainly does change things. It's not like we could have predicted that or she could have predicted that. But yeah, it's it's kind of BS anyway. But I hate that this is one of the only Marvel movies with a woman as the main character and people are already judging how much money it made more intensely. Like, 
Oh, it didn't do so well. See, people don't really want to see. And it did fine. <laughs> it did fine. But like people are saying like, oh yeah, see, we're not into women as lead characters. That's just how it is. That's why it didn't do as well as the other ones. Not all these other things. Right. And yes, I know this is over millions of dollars and it's Scarlett Johansson who has made some very questionable decisions and, you know, is generally the internet does not like her. And it's hard not to be like, oh, come on. But... Um, We are all about women getting what they're owed, and this industry is notorious for underpaying women. She is one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, and even if the lawsuit fails, it is pushing visibility around a lot of these issues. As it was intended to, her lawyers definitely wanted it to go public, and I was telling Samantha, I thought it was an Onion article, because I was like, who would sue (laughs) Disney, which is a part of the problem? And in the words of journalist Tomris Lafley, I don't care how rich Scarlett Johansson already is. She was f***ed over through a breach of contract and she should sue. You can't really claim that you support professional women to, to demand what they're worth and promise and then be like, accept her. She's doing fine as she is. Which is what a lot of, of what I've heard. And um, I think we see that a lot. Uh, and that's something we talk about a lot when it comes to ambitious women and how a lot of times the knee-jerk response is, but you're doing fine. So right. what's your problem? And again, this is not our money. It's the no. money that has been given based on her work to a multi-billion dollar company. So exactly. it's kind of like, why are you so angry that she's asking to be paid? Well, she should be paid. And yeah, it's way more. And it does feel like rich people problems. But at the same time, I'm like... Yeah, but it does meet a standard to everyone else to be like, we need to negotiate our value if that's the work I put in and that was the intent and then you tricked me, then we need to have a conversation about being held accountable Mm -hmm. for your stupidity, (laughs) your sneakiness. Yeah, and as others others have pointed out, if Disney is doing this to Johansson as a huge star, which again, I thought it was an Onion article, which is really telling, that I was like, no one would dare sue Disney, then who else? Like, what are they getting away with from smaller actors or even non-actors, like people who work on these productions who can't afford to sue for whatever reason it is? Even on Black Widow um, or any other movie that went straight to streaming when that wasn't the plan when contracts were signed. And we... I know people have talked about like Wonder Woman 84 and, you know, what happened with that one. And then Emily Blunt with um, A Quiet Place. And right now, Emma Stone and Emily Blunt are contemplating co-signing this lawsuit. I have thought it's interesting that all these men, the male co-stars are like, nope, not suing. But the women are like, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And again, like we have to look at the record of Disney and the heiress of Disney blasted all the stockholders when they let go of so many of the employees at the park and gave no about helping them and talking about, hey, you telling them you can't afford to give them a living wage or helping them out and all of y'all are getting billions of dollars, billions of dollars, pretending like giving up your annual salary is a big deal when actuality, you have been making tons of money just on the shares alone. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, yeah, they give no craps about the people underneath them. So this could set a precedent, maybe, later on down the road, hopefully. Maybe. I mean, it's a big deal. Like, whether or not it succeeds, that is a big deal. (laughs) Right. So moving on, this is where we get to our very late (laughs) very late on the game. But we did want to run through some first, uh, and like we discussed in our female first special that was pretty recent, a lot of them are pretty disheartening, but it's still progress. And also there's all the caveats that we talked about in the episode around first. But just really quickly, MJ Rodriguez is the first transgender person to be nominated in a major acting category in the Emmys. And we'll see how that plays out. 
Going way back to the Oscars, Chloe Zhao became the first woman of color to win Best Director. Only the second woman to win it ever. Yep. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With her Best Supporting Actress win, Yoon Yeon Jung became the first Korean performer and second Asian performer to overall win an Oscar. And of course, all the controversy around the Golden Globes and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association having no black people among their 87 members. Yeah. Uh, so that's a mixed bag. And then uh, I know with the Grammys, a lot of people have backed away from the Grammys and uh, decided not to uh, push any of their songs or any of the things and withdrawing from getting awards from them because they're kind of talking about the backlash of what the Grammys are and how Mm. people buy their way into getting awards, which I have figured out as well. It's like, wait, we have to pay lots of money just to ask them to look at our episode? Maybe I'm not meant for this. (laughs) Yeah, then they're like, sorry, I didn't like it. You're like, bummer. <laughs> yeah, I wasted $500. That's not how much it is, but essentially, of trying to get you to like my stuff. And it's like, wow, that's, oh, that's so disappointing because you want it to be pure, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We've gone Not we've that gone we deserve places. awards. I'm just saying. I think we deserve at least one award. I don't know for what, but something. <laughs> Uh, maybe most award. random mix-up of topics. <laughs> yeah, so this is what we have to say for this update episode. There's a lot we didn't get to, and I'm sure we will. If there's something that we missed and you want us to talk about or something in here you want us to go more in depth, I'm always happy to talk about lawsuits. Um, you can email us. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I'll never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Award-winning as always. Always. And thanks to you for listening. Mm -hmm. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 